0: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant seated directly across from me. Within almost arm's reach is Jerry Rowland seated to my right. And I'm seated right here at my axis <laughs> in the center of my own being. And this is Stuff You Should Know.
2: Yeah. In person to dish. First yeah. time since uh, the... Uh, 1980. The one-time 3D audio experience experiment. Oh, boy, I forgot
1: about that. I, I, I marked it out of my head.
2: That's the only time we've been in the same room to record since COVID was that... Is that right? That, those two episodes. I don't remember the second one. I remember the first one. It was the, the Ivy League hobbit thing. Yeah,
1: because Ivy League and 3D audio are just <laughs> like, it's such low hanging fruit, you know?
2: Yeah, but we're back because, uh, you know, I put it on my Instagram. The studio is going away. We're moving house. Yeah. And surprisingly, to me at least, you said, hey guys, I'd really like to record in there together one more time. Why is that so surprising? I don't know. You don't seem overly sentimental about stuff like this. That's not true. I weep a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but not about studio rooms. (laughs) No,
1: no, I I mean, I'll miss this particular
2: room. Okay, me too. I mean, this has been – I mean, I think like Mm -hmm. seven of the most solid years we've ever had been in right here.
1: Pretty solid, although the (laughs) – the corner office with moving blankets as sound bafflers was a pretty solid couple years, too. The, the quaint
2: early days. <laughs> I drove by that building the other day, too, and for the first time in forever. Yeah. In Buckhead. And I was just like, ugh.
1: Do you remember? There was like, a, for some reason, every time we recorded at like one thirty when we had just started to get going, yeah. a fire truck would go oh, yeah. right outside. Yeah. Every day. The same ambulance. time. Yeah. It's like they knew. Oh, the memories. So that's enough fun for now, Chuck, because we're talking about interest rates, all right? I don't know why I picked this. I mean, I do know why,
2: but I just, I'm just i so not good at this stuff.
1: So I, I can imagine an AP economics-like teacher picking this for, for their high school class. So yeah. I think that's kind of like a public service you've done here.
2: Well, I picked it because, you know, the Fed just raised the rate mm-hmm. by it was half of a point, right?
1: Yeah, biggest hike since 19... 19- Uh, No, 2,000.
2: Yeah. So I saw that biggest hike and I was like, oh my gosh, what was it, 20, 30? (laughs) It was a half a point. And I was like, I don't understand this, so I might as well learn it enough to tell other people a little bit about it.
1: Do you understand now? Yeah. Like that half of a percent is actually a pretty big deal.
2: It is. And I understand now more than ever, there's like nine people that just control the economy of the United States. (laughs)
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that half of a percentage point, as you'll see by the time we're done with this, everybody, is basically the Fed going, ish. Yeah. They're really kind of nervous right now. Sure. And what they're going for by raising that interest rate is to cool off the economy. We have inflation rates that haven't been seen since 1981. Yeah. Not a good time for inflation. No. Um, And, I mean, we're talking the Great Recession was in there, too, right? Yeah, Like, this is a big deal, the inflation that we're seeing right now. So the Fed is saying, okay, we have an economy that is overheating. Like, you want some inflation, as we'll see, but this is way too much inflation. The prices of, like, everything is going through the roof. People are getting really mad. We better do something about it. But what they're trying to do by raising the interest rates is to create a soft landing so Mm -hmm. that prices come down, but they don't affect productivity and employment. That's the big thing. And Ben Bernanke put it once back when he was still just a Fed governor rather than the chair – um, he said basically that what they were doing was like driving a car. I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing here. This is going to put everybody, very it? well. Um, yes, probably. Yeah. <laughs> he said the Fed basically what the Fed does is is like driving a car with fogged up windshield, okay. a faulty speedometer, no good, and a brake pedal and accelerator that when you press it, the car has a very significant delay before it
2: responds. Oh, I thought you were going to say a brake and an accelerator that just switch positions without letting you know <laughs> right. which is which,
1: and it's on fire, <laughs> and there's monkeys everywhere and they're angry.
2: Yeah, the delay, sure, because none of these. Uh, you know, none of these moves, it's an immediate impact, and it's sort of a fingers crossed behind your back kind of move. Yeah. Almost always. Yeah.
1: And so, uh, most people who are watching this are saying the Fed waited too long Mm -hmm. um, because they kept the economy juiced for years and years and years. It just kept getting hotter and hotter, and everybody was very happy until prices started going up. Right. So, they waited too long. So, most... I shouldn't say most. A lot of people who mm-hmm. know what they're talking about say there's a recession coming pretty soon. So batten
2: down the hatches. Right. Key indicators, as they say.
1: <laughs> right. So what does all of this have to do with interest rates, Chuck? Let's wrap.
2: Well, I mean, this is uh, – we'll get to the Fed, but this is generally about interest rates. The good news is everything else about interest rates is pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are a nation and in and, and, and a lot of ways a world that operates on loans – and interest in borrowing money mm-hmm. and then banks borrow money from each other and then the Fed lends money to banks. And it's just – it's a it's a weird thing. <laughs> it's a weird e- world economy right. that has been created over the past several hundred years in this country.
1: There's a lot of shiny su- suits. People break your arms. Yeah. That's basically what it's all based on.
2: Sure. But it's all based on the fact that if you want to buy something as a person uh, – and you know we're focusing on the United States here – uh, and you don 't have the money it 's no big deal because you can get credit cards if right. you want to pay large interest rates, you can get a home loan or a car loan because not everyone can shell out you know twenty to fifty grand for a car or right. however much houses cost now yeah eight eight million dollars yeah and you know there 's risk involved anytime you lend money and depending all of it really comes down to the risk of the loan as According to what the interest rate's going to end up being
1: right, so what we're talking about now are interest rates on the micro level, like the you and me level, like you're saying house yeah. buying, car buying, credit cards, all that stuff. and it is it's really um, basic, like you were saying, where um, with with interest rates, if you go to get a loan, say, they're okay. going to look at a few things, like what are you going to buy? Uh, I'm going to buy a really cool vintage poison T-shirt on eBay. Okay. Okay? It's like 15 grand. Easily. Uh-huh. I, I, I want to borrow some money to get that T-shirt. That's right. Um, so they're going to look at my – whoever I borrow from is going to look at my um, my credit score, mm-hmm. um, especially if it's a unsecured debt, Right.
2: Yeah, unsecured debt is basically any kind of credit card debt because they can't come and take away anything, basically.
1: They're not going to take my poison shirt if I default on the loan. They should. The way that they get you is they affect your credit. Right. But I still get to keep the poison shirt, so who's the sucker here?
2: Right, as opposed to a secured uh, debt, which is you got like a home mortgage because they can come and take that.
1: Right, so – Getting back to interest rates then, that would mean that since the, the bank that lent you the money to buy your home can legally seize your home mm-hmm. because it's a secured debt. Yeah, it's collateral. They're going to charge you less because at the end of the day, if you default, they can take your house. Mm-hmm. The credit card is going to charge you a higher interest rate because at the end of the day, if you default, they can't take that poison shirt. So they're going to charge more. And the reason that there's a difference in charging more or less is because the entire point of interest is that's the price you're paying for somebody to loan you money Mm -hmm. in exchange for them taking a risk. Because there's always a risk that you're going to not pay it back. Even if you have great credit, something could happen. Um, you could b- break bad or something like that. Who knows? But there's always a risk, and that's what interest is. It's, it's, you're, it's the money they make for loaning you that money and taking that risk.
2: That's right. Uh, and it's a little – it's not counterintuitive, but it kind of works both ways. Because if you have the collateral of, like, let's say a home mortgage, mm-hmm. and they can take that house – that's going to be a much lower interest rate like you said than the credit card but it's also going to be uh higher in some ways because it's a a long-term loan uh if it's you know it's kind of a negative outlook but i think that banks look at people and say well if you have a 30-year home mortgage like i don't know what you're going to be doing in 27 years mm-hmm. like you may be broke you may be destitute you may be in the hospital and have no money anymore right so that's going to be a little higher which is why if you can, like people always, uh, I mean, financial people, I'm not one of those, but they always recommend you like refi your house and bring it down to a 15-year loan because it's less risky mm-hmm. and it'll be a little bit less of an annual percentage rate.
1: Right. And then one of the other reasons, if you've ever looked at a house or gotten a, um, a mortgage, um, there 's a big difference between the rate you 're charged for a fifteen year and a thirty year, mm-hmm. not just because there 's a longer chance for you to default on the loan but also <clears> because <throat> over the course of thirty years inflation's going to actually eat into the amount of money you pay that bank back because right. it 's going to depress the value of the dollar over time
2: right so when that bank is getting your hundred what 's left on your hundred grand twenty five years from now. Mm-hmm it's not going to be the same as the value of that dollar now.
1: Right. So there's actually two types of interest that you pay on, say, like a 30-year mortgage or even a 15-year mortgage. And that is the um, the nominal rate, which is the rate you agree to, say 10%, which is astronomical. Don't ever take a, a home loan out with a 10% mortgage interest on it. Right. Okay. Um, that's just a that's just okay. a tip from me. <laughs> um, but uh, over time, as inflation grows, um, let's say over that, that 15 years, inflation grows a total of like 4%. Mm-hmm. You're actually paying the ba- bank back or they're actually getting back the value equal to about 6% of right. what they lent you.
2: And what's that called?
1: That is the uh, real interest rate, right? That's right. Okay, I remember <laughs>
2: Wake up, everybody, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <Home. Cacao. laughs> All right. And by the way, Jerry's eating over there, and it's, there's just nothing more n- normal and relaxing than us sitting in a room and Jerry chomping down next mm-hmm. to us. I just wanted to acknowledge that. It's kind of nice.
1: It is nice. She's not eating miso, though, this time. It's the only thing missing from this.
2: You know, most people fall asleep to, like, white noise or the sound of the ocean. I have one of just Jerry chewing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Puts me right to bed. That's nice. Uh, All right. So I guess that's, like, just the basic overview of how regular interest rates work. It's really easy. It's very basic. Yeah, it's
1: the price you pay to borrow money rather than saving up to spend it later. Yeah,
2: but no one cares about that stuff because you – you know, you try and get your credit card rates down. You try and have good credit. And you buy a house, you try and get the best rate you can. And then it's all kind of said and done. But what everyone sits up and takes attention is when the Federal Reserve – and by the way, if you ever want to just send me into traffic, we should just do a whole podcast on the Fed.
1: I don't understand why they talk the way they do. I know. Like they're – purposefully obtuse, I think. Like, it's Probably. really hard. To, like, you can just read because a Because they're
2: gaming the whole system, so they just want everyone to be even nice and sleepy. I guess so. When they're talking. It's just nuts, man. Uh, so when the chairperson of the Federal Reserve sits up and says, all right, we think we're going to raise some interest rates. Uh, and by the way, banks, they try to know before they even make that announcement because they're always watching – the chairperson of the Fed, and right. like, what well, they have for breakfast this morning. Right. How are they feeling today? Yeah. then um, that's why the recent 0.5% adjustment was just such a big deal, mm-hmm. because it can have a really immediate and long-term effect, which is kind of weird, because immediately, like, stocks are going to do all kinds of crazy things, and then it's got this long-term effect that they hope is going to work out, But it doesn't always because it's not an exact science.
1: Yeah, a really good example of that goes back to um, bank mortgages, right? So banks, I'm sure they carry out their own research as well to predict what's going to happen in the future. Because they want to set their mortgage rates, their 30-year mortgage rates today, with as close a forecast of what's going to happen with inflation Mm -hmm. over the next 30 years as they possibly can. Because they want to squeeze out every real penny that they can from you from your loan, right?
2: That's like – Crystal ball stuff, though, you know?
1: It is, but I mean, I think they've gotten kind of good at it, but it's still, at the end of the day, just an educated guess. Mm -hmm. One of the things they do is watch what the Fed's doing. Is the Fed raising interest rates. Are they raising interest rates? Does that mean that they think inflation is going up? And if inflation's going up, then we need to adjust our mortgage loans, right? Right. That's pretty simple, but it just keeps going from there. Yeah. So if mortgage rates increase, home Mm -hmm. buying slows, Mm -hmm. housing prices drop, Mm -hmm. That means new houses are being built less frequently, Mm -hmm. which means there's fewer carpenters being put to work. Right. That means there's Less fewer wood. lumber mills yeah. creating lumber for those houses, so mm-hmm. those people are out of work. Those people are out of work. They're starting to default on their um, their rent or their mm-hmm. mortgages, and foreclosures start to go up, which further depresses the housing value or the um, housing market because it, a flood of houses start to come on the market because of foreclosures because banks want to offload them. Just from the Fed. Saying uh, we might right. <laughs> increase by a quarter of a percent, yeah. our interest rate, yeah, yeah. That's the kind. That's what's at stake. I know when they're speaking out in public, or even like making moves, you yeah, know? like w- without speaking at all.
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty scary and precarious. Um, the Fed itself, and like I said, maybe we'll do. A f- I guess we have to at some point mm-hmm. on the Fed, but just as a broad overview, the Federal Reserve is the central bank of the U.S. There are twelve regional. Federal Reserve Banks, and a seven-member board. I talked about, I don't know if I said seven people, Mm -hmm. but a seven-member board of governors in D.C. And it was created in 1913 to, you know, ideally stabilize and secure our economy because at the time it was sort of, the Wild West when it comes to banking.
1: Yeah, there were a lot of bank panics, actually, yeah, where people that's would no good. make a run on a bank and the bank would be like, we don't have any more money. And they would go <laughs> under and like people would lose their entire savings. Yeah,
2: so, I mean, it was a pretty brilliant creation. Uh, and one of the things, the Fed does a lot, but one of the things the Federal Reserve does is it has a lot of cash and it helps supply the banks that you and I bank at with cash reserves. And um, maybe let's take a break. That's a good cliffhanger. Okay, And we'll talk about... The fact that banks by law have to keep certain amounts of money and it gets even more boring. I can't believe this
1: cliffhanger.
2: Hey, friends. As every parent knows, kids seem to be everywhere all at once, and it's really tough for even the most watchful moms and dads to protect their little ones from every single thing.
1: Yeah, Duracell understands this, and that's why they're deeply committed to lithium coin battery safety. Lithium coin batteries power a bunch of important things around people's homes, including things young children may have access to. So Duracell not only educates parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of lithium coin battery safety, they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them.
2: Even Duracell's packaging is child-secure and designed to avoid accidental opening because they believe their products should provide more than just power. They should also provide peace of mind. You can learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes.
0: When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all.
1: Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Okay, Chuck, before we get into um, the uh, reserve requirements of banks... I have a pretty neat little story, actually. Oh, yay. We were talking about banking panics, and Mm -hmm. there was one uh, back in 1882, or at least there was one bank that went under. um, And they had a branch in Sacramento that a guy named Louis Remy, I'm going to say, went to go get his $12,000 that he'd saved up. Mm -hmm. It was about like $350,000 in today's money. It was like his nest egg, right? He went to go get it out and was told that the bank had failed and they didn't have his money. So you know what Louis or Louis Remy did? He got on a horse and he rode from Sacramento to Portland, Oregon, mm, six hundred and sixty-five a, miles. A long ride. In six days. Okay. He rode for a hundred and forty-three hours. Ten of those was to stop to sleep.
2: Oh, I thought I was going to say to get a new horse. No, he horse had to do that.
1: He did that like in yeah. an instant, right? So for. For six days, he slept 10 hours to ride to Portland, got there before the steamer ship that was carrying news of the bank collapse down oh, in wow. Sacramento. Yeah. So he's racing the steamer, got there an hour or two before the steamer, got his $12,000 out of the Portland branch of the bank, uh-huh. and like within an hour or two of that bank collapsing, finding out that there was no more bank anymore. Wow. Isn't that amazing?
2: I'm glad his flux capacitor was working.
1: <laughs> basically, that's basically what he did, but uh, the horse version of that.
2: Man. Yeah, he said, oh, I should give myself an hour. That should be plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. I never understand that in time travel movies. I don't either. It's like, go back the week before. Take sure. your time.
1: Just take it easy. Maybe get like a snack. You have time.
2: Uh, all right. So we promised the scintillating details of the fact that banks have to keep a certain amount of money in their reserves. And that is because, you know— if every, I mean, it's not the 1800s. Not everyone's going to say, oh, I got to go to that Chase Bank and withdraw every penny all at the same time. Right. But they got to be protected against that.
1: Oh, it could happen, though. There's I mean, still. Yeah, yeah sure. Once, but the possible, pro- the problem is once a panic starts, yeah. it spreads like wildfire. Yeah. Because that means, well, if these people are panicking, even though I'm not panicking, I better go to the bank anyway to get my money out before it collapses, before more of these idiots panic and take their money out. Right. So whether you're panicked or not, it actually makes sense if there's a panic uh, and a run going on in your bank to go withdraw, and it's just this chain reaction that starts. So the Fed protects against that by ha- by res- requiring yes that these banks have these reserves, right?
2: Yes. So it's known as the reserve requirement. It's based on a percentage of all the deposits in that bank. Mm-hmm. It's very simple calculation, and then they they these banks have to have non-interest bearing accounts at the Federal Reserve to make sure the Federal Reserve can cover everything.
1: Right, to make sure that it's like okay, you have to have this much, we're going to hang on to it for you.
2: That's right. So they're they're taking this average every day, but mm-hmm. it's over it's an average over 2 weeks. Right. Basically to determine whether or not it's meeting that reserve requirement. And here's the thing that I don't know, I guess it sort of surprised me is Banks, depending on what's going on on a day-to-day basis, are borrowing and lending money to each other. Well, yeah. To cover themselves. Yes. so That sounds frightening, but it makes sense.
1: So they've got like a pile of money, and whatever money they have, they can make more money if they lend that money out, if they put it to work, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's what they want to do is right. to get more interest.
1: So if on one day they're like, oh, we've lent out more than we we have in reserve, mm-hmm. we go to another bank that has an excess – right? And borrow it from them. And then we put it in our Fed account, and everything's fine. We're within the legal limits for those reserve requirements.
2: Right. But if they run out of, you know, banks to trade with, basically, at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. then they can go to the Fed and say, Big Mama, we need a little money from you, actually.
1: Right. And the Fed doesn't like that. So they actually charge banks more for the – for to borrow money directly from the Fed for overnight requirements. That's right. But it's ironically called the discount rate, even yeah. though it's the larger of <laughs> the two rates. The other rate where a bank borrows from another bank overnight to satisfy the Fed's reserve requirements, that's called the um, federal funds rate.
2: Right. The I answered Fed my own funds <laughs> rate. <laughs> I thought you were waiting on me. Uh, and within that discount rate there are a few different tiers, uh, kind of just like you would scale or a tier any loan. You've got your primary rate, which is the lowest one, and that's you know if you're a great uh, if you're a great bank and good standing, you're going to get that rate. <laughs> right. You got the secondary rate, uh, and that's if you, I, I think this is by the way is Dave Ruse, but from HouseworkWorks mm-hmm. uh, and Dave said slightly less sound institutions, <laughs> right? Galloping Gulch State Bank. <laughs> yeah, probably. And then uh, you've got your seasonal rate. And these are very small banks with, that are based sort of around seasonal economies like tourism or agriculture or something like that.
1: Yeah, because like in, in, when when it comes time to, to bring in the crops for harvest, all yeah. the farmers come and say, I need some money to get this stuff to market. I need loans, and those banks get strained at those times. Yeah,
2: or there's lots of great, I feel, old-timey heist movies where uh, someone will, you know, like – During crop season, they'll know a bank will have just be flooded with cash on a certain afternoon.
1: Yeah. There's a movie you're talking about. I think Raising Arizona, that was
2: definitely the case.
1: Okay. Was that
2: it? Wisdom? It's been in other movies, too. With Emilio Estevez? (laughs) Was that a bank robber?
1: He was like a Robin Hood where he, I think he robbed banks to get rid of the deeds so that the farmers couldn't Uh, have their farms foreclosed. I never saw that. I, I know the movie you're talking about, though. I saw it. Wisdom. I saw it. <laughs> hey, while we're talking about movies, I've been meaning to give a shout out to so our friend Toby. Yeah, yeah. His production company made a movie called The
2: Green Knight that slipped under the radar. I, not for me, buddy. I saw in the theater. Wasn't that an amazing movie? It is, and one of the most like, uh, just sort of like in a, in a day and time where everything is a Marvel movie or something, right? To, to have something so original based on like an ancient tale, yeah. It was it was great. It was so. David Lowry's the director. Yeah, that's and his he partner. is just
1: a straight up auteur. Yeah, he's just making the movies that he wants to make. Yeah, and their production company's called Sailor Bear. I think
2: i was so mad that that got s- snubbed at the Oscars. It's crazy. It's a really good for at least like movie. cinematography and mm-hmm. set design and costumes. Like it got nothing. Mm-hmm. It's crazy.
1: It's wonderful. Yeah, and I think A24 picked it up. Yeah, which is which means their yeah. streak of. Like
2: amazing movies, yes,
1: flawless, yeah. it's a flawless streak they have they haven't stumbled once in the entire I think you're right, the entire history of a twenty four
2: yeah, come at me, if you got a bad a twenty four movie let's hear it. It's not <laughs> I, you know what I hear Crickets, <laughs> is there a movie called Crickets, maybe, okay,
1: there's a movie out there called Egg, Egg <laughs> from the sixties. Really? Yeah, I haven't seen it though. I just read about it in Uncle John's Bathroom Reader.
2: I thought you were talking about the movie Head, the monkeys movie. Yeah, the monkeys, right? Where <laughs> Which they I've tried never to seen.
1: they tried to do the whole smile thing. Oh, really? I think so. They were. It was kind of their answer to the Beach Boys smile. Oh, Interesting.
2: All right. Uh, can we just keep talking about that stuff? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, all right. Here we go. Let's get back on this. The Fed funds rate. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, we're talking about that's the rate that banks um, charge one another to borrow overnight to satisfy the reserve.
2: Right, and this is the one that is just very simple supply and demand. If uh, if there's a lot of cash in a lot of banks, then the rate is going to be lower. If there's demand for more money, Mm -hmm. then it's going to be higher. The Fed controls all of this. In Um, a roundabout way. Yeah. I mean, they kind of control all of it in a roundabout way, and,
1: and like, almost like all a, of the economy. <laughs> like a Rube Goldberg mousetrap kind of way. Like it'd be so much easier if they were like, this is what you guys can charge one another as an interest rate. Yeah. But they don't do that. They let no. the market decide. They set a target and then let the market work and then they manipulate the market.
2: That's right. So if the Fed wants to lower that funds rate, it's going to buy securities from those banks. Mm-hmm. There's going to be more cash on hand all mm-hmm. of a sudden. If they want to raise the funds rate, they're going to sell government securities, which are – I mean, anytime you start talking debt instruments, I just go a little crazy with excitement. (laughs) But government securities are just debt instruments. They're used to fund government operations. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's basically so like – the way I understood it was if – uh, like a lot of it is military spending sure. and operations, and it just keeps them from having to like raise and lower taxes a lot because they want to keep taxes kind of stable.
1: Right. So, yeah. So with all that deficit spending, what they're doing is if 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 the government could operate just on the taxes, tax revenue it brings in. Right. It would be, it'd be neutral. It wouldn't be operating at a deficit. There wouldn't be any profit. It'd be great. Yeah. But it spends more money than it takes in, so it has to issue that debt, which is basically loans in the form of treasury bills. And that's what the Fed is doing when they're out there buying or selling treasury bills, these mm-hmm. debt securities. They're, they're taking um, debt in or out of the market. They're adding cash into or out of the market. And it's not like banks who trade – with it's just a very select elite group of of what are called primary dealers, mm-hmm. who buy and sell um, these treasury bills with the Fed. Yeah, they don't have a choice in this. If you want to be a primary dealer, you have to buy or sell depending on what the Fed wants to do at any given time, right? Yeah. And so by doing that, they say, "All right, we want to buy a bunch of treasury bills because we want to inject cash into the market." Mm-hmm. Um, Here, like, sell those to us. Here's the cash. And by the way, we're not actually giving you this cash to go do anything with. This cash goes into your Fed, Federal Reserve account. Mm -hmm. Remember, and this is really important, Chuck, that account is non-interest-bearing. It makes zero sense in both sense of the word, yeah. <laughs> to um, leave money in there yeah, when you as a bank could make some money off of it, loaning it to other banks. right? So the more money that the Fed has put into those accounts, mm-hmm. the more l- money there is to loan, meaning that interest rate drops. And this is all so arcane. And again, this is like a dozen people who deal with this on a day-to-day basis. But it has a ripple effect in that. Yeah. Um, when you when you lower the federal funds rate, those banks in turn end up lowering their rates to people like you and me. It has a, a cascading effect throughout the economy.
2: Yeah, like I think I used to look at the Fed rate, and when they would move that, and think that's the home mortgage loan rate. Essentially, it
1: it translates into
2: that. It does in a certain way, for sure. But I thought the Fed sort of set that until last week when I started researching this. Same here, yeah. Uh, But it's just, you know, it's it's passed along on, you know, like you said, both ways, either in uh, better interest rates or worse interest rates for everything across the board Mm -hmm. for regular schmoes like us. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also, I mean, you can also buy, you know, we'll talk about inflation in the stock market, which is where I get really confused. But um, remember how I was talking about, like, the interest rates have to do with nothing but risk, basically. Right. If you want to buy – if if you want to get out of the stock market and just say, I'm only going to invest in, like, bonds right. and things like that and securities, then uh, you're not going to make much money. The return on those is very, very low because they're government-backed, mm-hmm. which means the risk is very, very low. Right. People play the stock market because ideally you can get, like, 8% uh, – more money every Mm -hmm. year that you're doing it.
1: Whereas you're making like half of a percent off of like a bond or something. And
2: that's the same way like, you know, you you make interest when you have money in the bank Mm because the bank wants to use your money. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of taking a loan from you every day. You just don't realize it. But you get just a tiny less. That's why it doesn't pay just to keep a ton of money in the bank because you're making a tiny amount there too.
1: Yeah. And so the federal funds rate um, has an effect on that as well. Right. In the real world with the stock market. So if the federal if the Fed takes a bunch of money out of the out of the market um, and floods the market with with like um, treasury bills. Mm -hmm. Right. Those treasury bills are easy peasy to come by, which means that they're worth less. Which means that people are going to get less money from investing in them, which means they're going to turn to the stock market. Right. Because you're going to make more money. Right. right? Even though it's riskier, that juices the stock market when interest rates are low. When interest rates are high, meaning the Fed has soaked up a bunch of money uh-huh. um, and they have sold a bunch of those those like treasury bills, um, that means – yeah, I think I'm right – <laughs> It's easy to get That confused. means that the interest rate has gone up, which means that you can get more money from those treasury bills, which makes the stock market less attractive to people who are investing in it, which usually signals a cooler economy.
2: That's right. And I guess the final effect here before we break and then talk about inflation, which is so, so fun, mm-hmm. is if the Fed lowers the funds rate, it's going to decrease the value of the dollar on the exchange market, on the foreign exchange market. And that is, um, it's a little counterintuitive, but um, a little bit of a, like a long term drop, like the is not good. You don't want the dollar to decrease and stay low. But on the short term, on the near term, um, it can be good for the American economy because if the dollar drops, uh, then our money's not going to be uh, worth as much elsewhere. So buying things like products or goods or services from overseas, is going to be more expensive. So they might turn to the home front to buy some of those goods and services, which can actually inject, uh, like kind of supercharge the, the local American economy on the near term.
1: Right. And so that actually can in turn lead to inflation accidentally. So, if you have low interest rates, that means that money is abundant and cheap. Borrowing is cheap. A lot of people are out spending because interest rates are low. Um, So, the dollar is actually deflating, which means that prices are going up, Mm -hmm. right? In some cases, like this is actually good. The Fed uh, wants to keep inflation at about 2% growth per year. Yeah. So, prices are going up. And the reason why the Fed would want to do that, uh, as we'll see, is because they're – if you know that prices are going to generally continue going up, you're going to buy something today rather than putting it off for later.
2: Right. They so love you spending money. Right. That's so what they want is Americans buying things constantly.
1: Exactly. But you, so you want prices to go up but at a steady rate and a manageable rate. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is if, you, if, if money becomes too abundant in the economy – um, prices start to go up really quick because a lot of people have money. Yeah. But there's not enough de- supply to satisfy that demand. That's right. Which drives prices up even further, which is pretty much the situation that we find ourselves in now. Right. So, to deal with this, the Fed has raised interest rates mm-hmm. in the hope that it becomes more expensive to borrow money. Right. People will spend less. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes more lucrative to save money right. because interest rates – uh, for like loans or for CDs, for savings accounts, all that stuff goes up, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're spending less. Prices hopefully come down, mm-hmm. but not so much that people start to get laid off because consumer demand has bottomed out. That's right. That's where we're at right now. This is the tightrope that we're watching the Fed kind of transverse right now.
2: That's right. They're on a penny farthing on a tightrope.
1: <laughs> yeah, with a little <laughs> tiny umbrella that's comically yeah. small. Comically small.
2: All right. Well, let's take our final break. And we'll finish up with a little bit on inflation and uh, how the interest rate continues to affect that right after this. (music) Hey, friends. As every parent knows, kids seem to be everywhere all at once, and it's really tough for even the most watchful moms and dads to protect their little ones from every single thing.
1: Yeah, Duracell understands this, and that's why they're deeply committed to lithium coin battery safety. Lithium coin batteries power a bunch of important things around people's homes, including things young children may have access to. So Duracell not only educates parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of lithium coin battery safety, they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them.
2: Even Duracell's packaging is child-secure and designed to avoid accidental opening because they believe their products should provide more than just power. They should also provide peace of mind. You can learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032,
0: 2025, and 2016 sizes. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all.
1: Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today.
2: So I have a feeling, I'm trying to think of the stuff you should know, audience, right now. Okay. All of our friends out there. Mm -hmm. And I feel that 90% of them will not hear this part. Okay. (laughs) Uh, The ones in that 90% that, that managed to stick this one out. Are probably like, I'm sorta of learning this, guys, but it's really confusing. Mm-hmm. And then there's ten percent are economists and people that are sitting back and laughing and going, Nope, they got that part wrong. Right. Uh huh. No.
1: Wrong uh-huh. again.
2: Sorry, guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like if you took all of the information in this episode and cut and pasted it into a more coherent way.
2: That's Jerry's job.
1: It would be it would be yeah. It would be like we, we got it. Yeah. I think we just explained it in a really confusing way.
2: Probably so. We're a little all over the place. Um, all right. So we talked a little bit about inflation, that uh, a, they, they, inflation is good uh, in a slow and steady way. Mm-hmm. What you say, 2% a year?
1: Yeah, that's what the Fed shoots for.
2: Shoots for 2%. Um, no inflation at all is, is not good because that means you're looking at deflation. Uh, we talked about stagflation. In one of those a long time ago. What
1: is stagflation?
2: Oh, uh, was that it? Yeah. Yeah, so stagflation is no good. I think that's when the 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 rate is above like a certain percentage and unemployment is below a certain percentage. And there's one other indicator.
1: Uh, productivity, I think, maybe declines. Maybe. So prices remain high and keep going higher. Yeah. But – the wages are tumbling and people are getting laid off and, like, the economy is starting to cool, but prices are staying high. Yeah, because ideally with inflation,
2: case. wages are kind of going up in lockstep. Yeah. Like, that's what you want.
1: That's what you want, ideally. <laughs> I don't know the last time that that actually happened, yeah, though. Yeah, you're probably right. So um, so you do want some inflation, but you don't want too much inflation is the upshot of it. And that's right. a lot of um, – we also did one on inflation, too. It was um, – can't remember what the name of it, but it was just this past like June, I think. I looked. Oh it really? Up. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, so there's a couple of explanations about how inflation works, and I don't know that one's necessarily right and the other's wrong. I think it just depends on the context. Yeah,
2: or the way you're looking at it, it seems like.
1: But they both seem really familiar. So, I think we talked about them in the inflation episode. We would have had to have. but one is called the demand-pull theory. And that's kind of the explanation for what's going on right now, that because of government stimulus checks, because um, of productivity being through the roof, Mm -hmm. because interest rates being really low, the economy has been awash in easy money. Yeah, And people are buying, spending, buying. A lot of people have a lot of money and are ready to spend it. Also, I think there was a lot of probably pent-up demand mm-hmm. from hanging around your house yeah, because sure. of COVID. And now you're like, oh, take my money. I want to do something interesting. You know, I'm so bored. Yeah.
2: It's unprecedented stuff these past couple of years. I don't, right. I don't think anyone really knew what the overall effect was going to be.
1: Right. So the tightrope, if you look closely, is actually a ultra sharp razor blade that the Fed is on thanks to this unprecedented event that we've just gone through that they're trying to deal with so um, the idea of a bunch of people having a bunch of money wanting everything all at once from houses to cars Mm -hmm. to um, you know Game Boys maybe sure vintage Game Boys (laughs) okay Um, to poison Uh Um, t-shirts. Like, that means that we're all competing with one another for the finite supply of those things, Mm -hmm. which means that people selling them, thanks to just supply and demand, basic, you know, capitalism and economics, those prices rise. That's right. That's inflation. That's the um, demand pull theory.
2: That's right. Uh, The other is cost push. uh, And this is basically kind of the opposite of that in some ways. It's uh, the cost of doing business is going up. Uh, it is sort of separated from demand in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there are all kinds of reasons this might happen. Dave mentioned a couple that uh, like labor unions might have um, like have to pay people a lot more money mm-hmm. uh, because they negotiated a new contract or something. Um, exporting foreign goods shoots through the roof or something. Or maybe there's a new uh, administration. And all of a sudden there's new taxes going on. But basically, it's cost push because the rise in cost of doing that business, any business, is going to push the price of the products higher and higher and higher.
1: Right. But it has nothing to do with demand necessarily. It's just – No. It's become – the cost of doing business has become more expensive.
2: Right. And now this is where – like I did pretty good with this stuff until interest rates affecting inflation because it seemed – I don't know. It just seemed so – uh, rigged and like I hate saying that word now, but
1: that's the whole—that's the whole thing. That's the entire point of what the Fed is doing by raising that interest rate by a half of a percent.
2: Manipulated, I guess.
1: They're trying to manipulate the economy, and they're trying to do it in just the right way so that they can keep those inflation, keep inflation slow it down. Mm-hmm. They can keep it in check, but at the same time. They don't want to bring prices down so much that businesses have less incentive to produce goods, right? Because right now with prices really high, businesses are doing everything they can to get out as many widgets as possible because they can sell them for historically high prices Mm -hmm. right now. If prices fall, eventually you get to a point where businesses are like, eh, it's not really worth the investment. I, I don't need this many people to make this many widgets yeah, anymore. start laying people start off. Start laying people off. Right. So empl- unemployment starts to go up, and all of a sudden, you've overstepped. You've cooled the economy too much by, adjusting, or by targeting inflation, by adjusting the interest rate. That's the, the precarious position that they're in right now. They're trying to create that soft landing to get prices back down to a normal rate right. of inflation without cooling off the economy inadvertently.
2: That's right. And uh, what I meant to look up to see is it always by quarters of a point? No,
1: I mean, they just did a half of a point.
2: No, 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 but but that's two quarters. Oh, oh I see what <laughs> yeah is there any ever uh, an increment that's less than that? Not I that wonder. I've ever seen. Okay, so they go a quarter at a time. I or feel like or for quarter uh, three quarters. yeah,
1: yeah, I think the most I saw was one point seven five or something like that, really, And that was back in two thousand two thousand. I think. So the, the last time they had such a huge hike uh-huh. um, as a as a half of a percent, it was actually like two and three quarters of a percent. Oh wow. Because I think of the dot com bubble. Right. And they probably overstepped because there's was a, a recession after that.
2: Right. And then the housing uh mm-hmm. situation.
1: Yeah, that came later. Right.
2: Yeah. But that was I'm sure all of that is affected. All the tendrils affect one another.
1: Uh, I'm sure. I think there was somebody who had a theory that every recession was connected to the last one somehow.
2: Well, they say we're headed for one. Uh, Since the 1950s, um, there are economists that say every time we've exceeded 4% inflation, unemployment was below 5%, Mm -hmm. then recession comes within two years of that moment. And that has happened here in April 2022. Right. So they're, they're saying, like, recession is probably coming, historically speaking.
1: Yeah. And so there, there's some tips if you want to prepare for recession. It's not necessarily the end of the world. Um, one thing is because job market is so hot right now, if you've been sitting there thinking, like, maybe I'll get a job, go get a job now. Yeah. So you don't have to, like, try to get a job during a recession. You can already yeah. have the job. Um, if you're thinking of selling your house – Uh, especially if you can downsize, Mm -hmm. this is a good time to sell because the housing market is really high right now, but you can expect it to come down if we go into a recession. Right. Set a little cash aside if you can. Sure. And then if you're an investor, if you have stocks, stick to your plan. Don't panic. Don't worry. Just stay the course. Yeah. You can weather a recession. Your stock prices will eventually go back up on the other side.
2: Yeah. Oh, you know what? There was one thing I meant to mention before. That's worth pointing out real quick is that – remember we were talking about the Fed sets this rate that banks, you know, they lend each other money and stuff? Yeah, the
1: federal something – federal funds rate.
2: Yeah, they don't actually say, like, you have to use this rate. Like, banks still negotiate that with, with each other. Right. But they're, they're saying, like, that's the target rate, and then they do things to try and nudge these banks toward that rate.
1: Right, and that's what they're doing when they're buying or selling bonds on the market. Right. They're injecting or removing cash – To make that the banks actually charge closer to that target rate they've set. That's how they manipulate it. Right.
2: But it's not like a bank says, well, we can only charge this because the Fed said so.
1: That's what I'm saying. It'd be so much easier and so much more straightforward if the Fed said this is what you can charge each other for the overnight rate and then adjust that rather than setting a target and then manipulating the markets.
2: Yeah, but then that takes negotiation out of the deal and like –
1: It's just no fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably it actually. You got anything else? I got nothing else. Well, that was a good first take. Let's start over and try it again. Uh, well, since Chuck's made that sound, of course that means it's time
2: for Listener mail. I'm going to call this uh, new gin and tonic recipe I want to try. Oh,
1: yeah. It sounds good.
2: This just came in. Hey, guys. Been listening for a few years, down under, and was keen to learn about uh, more about champagne as a fan of the bubbly beverage. But I got an extra treat when you went on a tangent about gin. Mm -hmm. Uh, This must have been a select champagne.
1: Yeah, our champagne one came out this past Saturday in real life.
2: Uh, IRL. So although I must say the best gin in the world now comes from Australia, arguably Tasmania, Hmm. I'm also a big fan of the St. George Terroir. And Chuck, it does not taste like feet. Uh, Maybe you should stop soaking your socks, uh, your lime in your socks. (laughs) Gross. So this is a cocktail recipe I'm going to try because it all sounds lovely. This is from Meg. Uh, Just get your basic London dry gin and tonic, but instead of just squirting a lime in there, um, squeeze some orange in there and add a full rind and then uh, rub a fresh rosemary stick, get that thing activated, and then put that in there and stir it around. You sound like you're making this listener mail up. No, no, no. And then uh, and cracked pepper. Uh So you basically got a gin and tonic with orange, rosemary, and black pepper.
1: Yeah, be careful with the pepper though. I've had it before with even just not cracked but whole peppercorns. Ooh! You can accidentally burn your throat pretty good. Oh, really? Yeah, because the gin like gets it ready and the black pepper finishes the job.
2: Okay. Well, I'm gonna try it out. That's from Meg in uh, Australia.
1: Just remember, a little goes
2: a long way. Little goes a long way. Thanks a lot, Meg. We appreciate that. Um, we love
1: new gin recipes. Really, any kind of recipe. Yeah. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us like Meg did and give us a recipe or just say hi or whatever, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com.
0: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: No microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are...
1: In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey,
2: everybody. I want to talk to you for a second here about Canva, specifically Canva presentations that are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work, sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation. So start to- Designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Just go to canva, C A N V A.com.